Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. How many of you have enjoyed Ephesians this last week, reading a chapter a day? And I know many of you have completed that yesterday, um, did a chapter a day, keeps the devil away. And we are continuing today on our second week. Um, and next week's going to be good because um, Abs is also going to be sharing and preaching, which he hasn't done for about 17 years. And so um, I'm excited about that. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. Um, reading from the 10, we're going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Stu, are we able just to stop this? Hate it or will it go off automatically? Okay, thank you, Nicola. Okay, I'm in, Stu. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 says this As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody say amen. Amen. What a passage of scripture. And I like that little bit at the end. It says, not by works that no one can boast. Nobody can boast. The title of my message today, based on this Ephesians, is this. It's going to come on the screen now. Probably the greatest message you will ever hear. (laughs) No one should boast. But this is probably the greatest message you will ever hear. And I say that with all humility. (laughs) Probably the greatest message you will ever hear. Um, you know when some people say to you, oh, I've just seen the greatest ever film. And then you go and watch the film and you're disappointed. Or they say, I've just been to the greatest restaurant. And you go to the restaurant and you are also left disappointed. Or they say, I've just um, read the greatest book and it doesn't match up with the standards of your expectations. It might be great for them, but yet it's not great for others. You know, you might say, oh, I've had these beautiful biscuits from Aldi. And you're like, they're the greatest biscuits I've ever had. Where somebody else would go, Aldi? No, I shop at Marks and Spencers. I think that's where you'll find the greatest biscuits. We won't have a supermarket war. This, however, is, and I guarantee this message has a money-back guarantee on it, that it is the greatest message you will ever hear. 
not because of me and not because of my ability or lack of ability to communicate it, but for what we're about to talk about and for what we're about to read and study and look into. I was this week made aware, many of you are aware of filters on Instagram, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> some people love filters on Instagram. And there was this, I saw this, I saw this person on, on Instagram and they looked really like good. <laughs> this guy, I'm like, man, he looked good. And, uh, and I realized it wasn't a natural photo, but there is a filter on Instagram called Life By Me Filter. And the Life By Me filter, what it does, because I tried it last night. <laughs> I took a picture of myself, and I won't show it, because no one should boast. I took a picture of me, and it's amazing what it does. It removes every blemish. It straightens things that need straightening. It kind of just changes the light. And now I know I have blemishes, not many, but I know I have some blemishes. I know I have some wrinkles starting to develop. I know my skin could maybe be better. I, I know there are, some of you are nodding like this. I know there are blemishes on my face and yet this filter manages to cover all of those blemishes. I looked amazing. I'm like, goodness me, send me to Hollywood. And then you take the filter off and you're really disappointed and that's you realize that's why I'm in Leeds. <laughs> because it was covering something that really was making me look a lot better than I really am. I think it's a good description of this passage of Scripture that there is almost like a filter and, and we could call it the grace of God which has the ability to make us look a lot better than we really are. It has the ability to take away blemishes. It has the ability to take away frailties in our face and in our skin and in our, metaphorically speaking, our life. And we know we're not that good. <laughs> we know we're not that perfect in our appearance. But yet, you put this on, and gosh, this is amazing. That is what I think about when I read this passage of Ephesians. And the thing with the filter is you don't even have to do any work. It does it all for you. It's the same with this passage of Scripture. God is speaking to the Apostle Paul, like we heard last week, to the church in Ephesus. And he is speaking to both Jew and he is speaking to both Gentile. Two very different groups of people, but they were all grouped by the same thing, that they are human beings. And because they are human beings, they are all in the same boat with regards to their weakness and their sin. And Paul is basically saying, all of us have significant blemishes. <laughs> but you can't remove those blemishes by yourself. There is not enough work for you to do on you to remove that from you. It is only the grace of God, which is a gift which enables you to be, guess what, way better than we really are. And here's why. And 
this is why I want to really want to get into the message today. Because it, what it reminds me of this passage is sometimes it, it can like feel a little bit fake. This is almost like too good to be true. If, if, if I can be bad, like Paul is saying, but yet it is God that makes me good, like how does that work? Because this is how it works. Because when I look at my life, I'm looking at, I'm looking at my life from how I see my own life. Does that make sense? So when I'm viewing me, and when I have opinions of me, and when I think about the good things and the bad things within, within me, I am thinking them from me. But the thing with God is that he looks at you from how he sees you. And he looks at you differently to how you see yourself. If only we could see what he sees. If only we could think how he thinks. If only the opinions he has of you were shared by the same opinions that we have of ourselves. Because we can look in a mirror and we can think, I don't like myself. I look ugly. I don't look great. I'm this, I'm this, and there's things in my past. And, and we can see that. And yet God sees you totally differently. But yet we base our life on how we see you but, and how we see us. But God bases it on how He sees you. And my aim today is really simple, church. Okay, really simple. My aim today, one aim, is that everybody leaves here, everybody leaves here with a greater value of who you are in Christ because of Christ. If I do that, tick. Okay, if there's nothing else you get from it, that's fine, but tick. That you leave here with a greater value of who you are in Christ because of Christ. Now, you might think, well, is this, are we at like a women's conference where we're, you know, princess daughter warrior putting value on women? And, and, and I'm not disregarding that because that's excellent. But sometimes we talk about these things almost like it only applies to women. This applies to men and women. This applies to all of humanity how we view ourselves and the, the identity that we have and the image that we have, have of ourselves. But I want to help you understand how valuable you are in Christ and because of Christ. That is why this is the greatest message that you will ever hear. Because when much of life is reducing you, when much of life is decreasing you, or much of life is shrinking you, Ephesians 2 has the ability to raise you has the ability to lift you up. That is why I love the Word of God. When much of the world is pushing you down, the Word of God lifts and raises you up. That's why I think church is so important. It's why I think the kingdom of God is so important because when there is pressure on you, like we spoke about a few weeks ago, when the pressure from the world comes upon you, you have to ask yourself, what am I pressing into? Because if I continue to press into the world, it's not going to help. But if I can press into the things of God, that is what strengthens and that is what encourages and that is ultimately what raises you. But Ephesians 2, let me put this out there. It doesn't just... It doesn't just flatter you. It doesn't just tell you that you're awesome and everything's going to be awesome and you've always been awesome and keep going because you're awesome and you're going to remain awesome and you're always awesome. <laughs> Ephesians 2 doesn't flatter you just like that. Ephesians 2 also gives you some truth first. <laughs> and the truth that it gives you first in three verses is that you were bad 
real bad. You were bad. In fact, you were bad. Yes, you were bad. I was bad. But it is God in the next first seven verses who tells you that it is God who makes you good. And so in these 10 verses, we have three talking about how bad you were and seven talking about how good God has made you because of what he has done. So question today, and you don't need to respond publicly with this. You can keep this privately to yourselves. What is the worst sin you've ever done? (laughs) Imagine if we just, I had an open mic. One after one, you can come up here and come on, tell us the worst sin you've ever, well, (laughs) it'd be vastly inappropriate to do that. The reason I asked you that question is because the first three verses of Ephesians 2 talk about, really, the realities of sin within humanity. And it doesn't talk about the differences of sin in terms of, you know, the, the, the different acts of crime, for example. Paul is basically grouping this up in sin. And so it might seem a strange question for me to ask you, what is your worst sin? Because what we do is we all grade sin into certain levels. If we did all come up here and said, well, my worst sin is this. Well, we said, well, that's that's a level six. Okay, that's a level six. Okay, you stole a a packet of Walker's crisps from Sainsbury's one day. That's a level six. Okay, still sin, but it's a level six. Well, I punched someone in the face. Well, that's a level three. <laughs> Was he a baddie? Yes. Well, then actually it's a level six. <laughs> okay. We, 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 we group sin sometimes. And we watch the news or we read the news or we hear gossip of what so-and-so has done or what pastor so-and-so has done. <sighs> we drop them levels because I'm not in that level (laughs) you're in that level but I'm not in that I'm Champions League when it comes to sin I'm top four (laughs) you're league two we do it all the time but there is no levels when it comes to sin there is just one level and guess what the level is level sin (laughs) now We also have to be honest and understand that some sins have greater consequences than others, okay? And so there's a a vast difference between stealing a packet of crisps from Sainsbury's and taking the life of another human being. Still sin, but we are aware the consequences for you and the consequences for others are vastly different, okay? So I'm not underplaying, I'm not underplaying and undermining, you know, acts of sin which can cause abuse or which can cause torture or which can cause, you know, incredible levels of pain for some people. But when it comes to missing the mark, when it comes to following the ways of the world, there is sin. But let's not remove ourselves from this sin collective, let's call it today. Let's not remove ourselves. Well, I'm not part of that sin collective. That, that might be you over there, but actually I'm I'm not part of that. Thank you very much. And Paul the Apostle goes one step further in what first verse, first three verse words of Ephesians chapter 2. Look what he says. As for you. As for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I read this and I go, excuse me, Paul. 
As for me, Paul, who writes this book, you were, I think you'll find, the blasphemer. I think you'll find, Paul, you were the persecutor. I think you'll find, according to 1 Timothy 12, 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse, you were the violent man, Paul. I think you'll find, according to 1 Timothy 1.15, you were the worst of sinners, Paul. So don't try and group me with you. Let's keep some separation here, okay? I wasn't at the stoning of Stephen, holding the garments, giving my thumbs up of approval. I wasn't there, but you were, Paul. And so don't try and group me into what you are grouping yourself with. Don't group me with you. Don't you hate it when you get wrongly grouped? <laughs> it's annoying. Someone says, oh, so you're with these guys? No, I'm not with these guys. <laughs> that's, that's them. I'm over here. But Paul is saying, as for you. Now, who is you? <laughs> you. <laughs> John Knight. I'm not pointing any fingers, but as for you. <laughs> as for you. As for you. It's very direct. It's almost like, I find it a little bit offensive, to be fair. I find it much easier when Paul uses nicer language where he does come in and says, all of us, and he comes into that part in Ephesians 2, all of us, and you there go, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> we feel like we're all grouped together in this. But he starts off by saying, as for you, <laughs> as for you. Now, I remember being at school, <laughs> and sometimes I was told off in a group. <laughs> but sometimes the teacher had the ability to go, and as for you, <laughs> Dave Niblock, <laughs> There's going to be further detentions. As for you, Dave. And what they're trying to say is, sure, it might have been a collective, but don't excuse yourself from this collective. Don't remove yourself from this group. You're as guilty as the rest of them. As for you, Paul says. Because much of Paul's writing, much of Paul's writing is singular and plural. It is the me, it is the you, but it is also the collective us. But Paul says we were living, but yet we were dead, is what it says. We were living, but yet we were dead. How can you be living and dead at the same time? It is because sin has the ability to kill you from the inside out. Sin is the death of the soul as it follows this passage says, the ways of the world. And so as we follow the ways of the world, sin, missing the mark, has the, has the ability, the disobedience from God, has the ability to be the death of the soul. And if any of you, and I'm sure that is all of us, have partaked, partaken, par, I'm trying to think of the, partaken, thank you for my English lesson today. If any of you have partaken in sin, you do realize that it almost starts to contribute a little bit, feel like, to the death of your soul. <laughs> At first, I know there's an element of gratification, and we hear about that. There's an element of satisfaction. But the reality is the root of that will ultimately lead to the fruit of that, which the Bible says is death. Ultimately, the ways of the world are rooted in the satisfaction of self. Did you hear that? The ways of the world are ultimately rooted in the satisfaction of self. The difference is, ultimately, the ways of God 
are rooted in the satisfaction of being selfless. There's a shift. The ways of the world, satisfaction of self, but the ways of God, it is the satisfaction in being selfless. It is the denial of self where the satisfaction comes from. And Paul uses this term in your sinful nature. What he is saying is there is sin that thrives in your desires and it thrives in your thoughts. That is where sin really comes alive. We sometimes think sin is the culmination on and the, basically the point of action. But no, Paul talks about how sin really begins to thrive in our desires and in our thoughts because we're obsessed with sin as an action, okay? So I punch you or I say something to you or I do something. We're obsessed with sin as that. But yet the Bible is very clear. It starts off as the desires and thoughts. And sometimes we come to the point where as long as I don't do this, everything's going to be fine. But if those desires and thoughts keep lingering there, it's only a matter of time before you end up doing what the desires and thoughts are desiring and thinking. That's why James chapter 1 gives us a big challenge in verses 13 to 15. He says this, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And this is important for you to know. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. Okay, so if you do punch in the someone in the face, don't say God told me to do it, because he didn't. If you do go and sleep around, God told me to do it. No, God didn't tell you to do it, and God didn't tempt you with that. Evil tempts you with that. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives, birth to, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Because wherever sin prevails, there will always be an absence of all spiritual life. Because sin has the ability to destroy the soul. Hey, don't worry, this gets better, by the way, okay? That's why it's the greatest message you will ever hear. It's why this chapter is titled Alive in Christ, because Paul is saying sin is so powerful, sin will kill you. Sin is so powerful, sin will destroy you. It will cause you to die. And Paul is saying, I know this from experience. I have been dead in my soul. I have been dead in my transgressions. Paul, the worst of sinners, a murderer, a violent man, a persecutor, man who was selfish in his desires and thoughts has experienced the worst of the worst and yet has experienced what it is the resurrection life that Christ gives to him it's why Paul is saying this is titled alive in Christ because what he's saying is the sin is gratifying for a while let's be honest sure sin when it craves something, when you send that oh, message or you oh, come out with that explicit oh, or you say that something like there's a release in sin. And it's like, that was good. It's like, an adrenaline rush of, and that's why they're talking about how sin appeals and, and sure it craves. But what Paul is saying is the riches of Christ far surpass the cravings of sin. They are poor in comparison 
Sin might be gratifying for a while, but the riches of Christ are gratifying for eternity. And I might get a, an immediate rush and a glimpse and a moment from sin, but yet with Christ, what I get is eternal riches. But yet it was so bad that we were by nature, Paul says, objects of wrath. By nature, we'd lost all our uniqueness. We'd lost all our beauty. He uses this word objects. How rude and offensive. I'm not even a person now. I'm simply an object of God's anger. I'm an object of God's frustration. I'm an object of God's disappointment. How degrading sin makes you. It doesn't even make you human anymore. Sin makes you an object. An object of wrath. Which is why I hate when people use sex outside of how God intended sex and when they when it becomes illegal and when it becomes when it becomes evil because it literally reduces often people to being objects objects of fulfillment objects of satisfaction objects and that is what Paul is saying sin degrades people to that place where they become Objects, how degrading. Verse 4. But. Verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. If there's ever one verse to remember in your entire life. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Because there is a word. And sentences don't often start with the word but. But this does. And that is significant because but in the Greek literally translates to like zero is what it means like zero so basically whatever has been said is just about to be zeroed <laughs> whatever is just about to be said is just about to be wiped away okay zero we're starting again and whatever I'm about to say now for the next seven verses that's actually what really matters church in Ephesus church in Leeds on Kirkstall Road first three verses it's not looking good Zero. The next seven verses are going to transform your life. Paul the Apostle starts off by saying, but. And it's a big but, and we won't go into big buts, but. <laughs> big but. It changes everything. One word. Have you ever sent a text to someone and you, you do that? There's one word in the text which is wrong. Like, I can come, but you, it does, I can't come. <laughs> It's like, that's quite, that's quite a significant change. We do it all the time and people go, I don't understand you. What, what do you mean by that word? It's like this word stands out a mile, but because of God's great love for us. But your thing is with the text is a mistake, but this text, this verse isn't a mistake. Because the reason is God has such a great love for us. It is called when love gets in the way. And I'm sure in some of your lives, love has got in the way sometimes. Maybe you've been working with a colleague and love gets in the way. <laughs> you've had a friendship. I remember me and Abs had a friendship. Me and Abs were best friends for three or four months till love got in the way. And that's a good thing. We were just best friends. Honestly, there was nothing more than that. I know she was really mad about me for months and was just like... <laughs> Give me some space, Abs. <laughs> I'm just joking. It was more me on you. But initially, there was just friendship. 
But then love gets in the way. And as a parent, you probably get a revelation of this, probably more than other people, maybe if you're not yet a parent, when your kids drive you insane. Any parents here ever been driven insane by their kids? <laughs> I'm talking insane to the point of like the edge. <laughs> you know the edge, just where you're about to go, I think I'm finished. <laughs> I think I'm done, okay? Like when, we kids, when your kids are trying to wrestle out of the car seat, like one of them, like legs are out, arms are out. You're like, get in the car, get changed. It's not always that bad in our house. It's normally peaceful. Normally, we do our Bible readings first, and then we <laughs> sit down and have communion together, followed by some word for the day. Get in the car. <laughs> but as a parent, you are probably understand this because kids can become objects of wrath. You're not even a child, you're an object. <laughs> and I'm angry about you. <sighs> if I could be an emoji, I'd be that red one. <sighs> <laughs> but because of our love for our kids, it changes everything. <clears throat> but I love you so much. You're driving me crazy right now. But my love for you far outweighs the insanity of what is going on right now. Love always changes the narrative. And Paul shifts this chapter from what you were to what you are. Don't live in what was. That's past tense. Live in what is. Present tense. Far too many Christians live in past tense. And their theology messes them up because they're living in what was, but now Paul is talking about what is. No longer are you an object of wrath. Now you are somebody I love with everything I have. What you were versus what you are. You are loved by a God who is so rich. I love the words he uses. So rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Like, you know when you see proper rich people? <laughs> Like you go to London and you go to Harrods, proper rich people. I'm not talking about, you know, fake people. I'm like rich, rich, rich people. Like they get out, they get chauffeur driven. <laughs> then they come out and they're gold everywhere, Louis Vuitton bags everywhere. You're like, wow, <laughs> proper rich. And I'm using that as a little bit of a joke to explain. It's often visible when people like to make it visible. But yet God is rich in mercy where it just drips off him it just there it's so noticeable so evident that this is the richness of the mercy of God who is not dripping with gold and is not dripping with Louis Vuitton but is dripping in mercy dripping in love dripping in grace and the mercy was so great that even while we were at our worst, his immense mercy resuscitated our souls back to life. I love it because it doesn't say when we'd improved a bit, when we'd got a lot better, when we'd had four years clean. <laughs> while we were at our worst, mercy meets you at your worst. Your souls need mercy. 
what is mercy? I was thinking about what is mercy. And this is kind of what my kind of summary of what mercy is. Mercy is a blessing of compassion. It's a blessing, didn't expect this, of compassion. You see, what rescued you, what saved you, what gave you CPR, what breathed life into you, guess it was grace. That's what it was. It was the unmerited, undeserved, unknown, unfathomable favour, kindness, gift of God. And because you are now filled with mercy and grace, guess what it does? The Bible says it changes your position. You go from an object of wrath, the Bible says, to verse 6, being seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Think about that. In three verses, I've gone from an object of wrath to someone who now seats with Christ in heavenly places. Question, where does Christ sit? The Bible says Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible talks about all that time, Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. So therefore, question, where do you now sit? Paul tells us where we sit. God raised us up with Christ and seated us, guess what? With Him. With Him. In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. What the Bible is saying. Sorry. I was an object of wrath. Sat on my own. Excluded like all of you. But because of his great love for us. Guess what God did? Got me up on my feet. Raised me up to my feet. changed my seat and now I'm sat with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Now this isn't like, this isn't positive talk, this isn't Dave Niblock revelation, this is Paul the Apostle, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, truth, word. You sit with Him, grace and mercy moved your seat and so let's give up thinking that we changed our seat because we got the answer correct. Let's give up thinking that we changed our seat because we passed the test, because we had a few good days. No, we now sit where we sit because of what God did and what Christ did for us. That's why we now sit. And you can keep working, 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 but it will never be enough. You can keep trying to move your seat and drag it along. You can try that all your life. It will never, ever be enough. Do you think there is enough work in you to put your seat next to God? No. It's only because Jesus loved you enough to pull you close. Not by works, but by grace. Because He loves you, because He likes you. you know, two years ago, me and Abs got invited to a dinner. A dinner at... Leeds United. And there were lots of people there and it was a centenary dinner. Beautiful night. Celebrating 100 years of Leeds United. All the players were there. Players who'd worked hard for Leeds. <laughs> Scored goals. 
record goal scorers. There was main sponsors there. There were the old managers there. There were the legends there. Marcelo Bielsa was there. The people who've worked to like, you know. And me and Abs go and we got invited by a friend. And we find ourselves sat at a table we should never have been sat at. Table number one, the top table. Sat next to the person who was running and hosting the event. And I'm trying to use this, it might sound like I'm boasting, but that, that, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to say is, there was never enough work in us to sit there. There was never enough goodness in me or abs. There was never enough skill, experience, wisdom or knowledge. The reason we were sat where we were sat was because they liked us. And our friends loved us enough to pull us close. Players, managers, millionaires, sponsors, heads of companies sat 30 meters over there. Me and Abs, a little bit embarrassed. Turned up two minutes late. <laughs> a little bit embarrassed going, why would we shouldn't be here? Why are we here? We were there because relationship will always trump any kind of work or striving of how can I get to that seat? People paid thousands of pounds for certain seats that night. We just got invited along. And it is a beautiful picture of the grace of God because when the master chooses you, everything in between gets moved. When the master chooses you, everything in between gets moved out of the way. And today the master chooses you and the band are going to come and close with me now. The master chooses you. Sometimes it's kind of embarrassing because that's why it says at least none of us can boast. I'm a little bit more embarrassed of the grace of God than I am boasting about it. I'm a little bit more embarrassed that God would be that kind to me. So now, so now what? Because it doesn't just stop there, but verse 10 basically says, as a result of it, do some good stuff. God has prepared good works for you to do in advance. And it's interesting how he puts this verse on the end of it. It's almost like saying, you've received love and you've received grace and you've received mercy. Hey, so now go and do some good stuff with it. <laughs> now you've been given a blessing. Do some good stuff with it. The grace isn't an excuse just to be lazy and live how we want. No, the grace is an empowerment to do good stuff. You've, when you've been blessed, when you've been helped, when you've been gifted, go and bless, go and help, go and gift others. Because we've received it through faith. Because until you believe it, you can't receive it. I can't receive your love for me if I don't believe you actually love me. And so you realize this as I close. We don't have a receiving issue. We have a believing issue. <laughs> Can I today push you, nudge you to believe, have faith that God would love you enough, that God would choose you, that God would be kind to you, that 